Hey everyone, it's Lauren Morris, the host of the Improv Teachers, and I am super excited about this month's podcast. Uh, I got to speak with Rick Andrews, who I will tell you about here in a moment if you don't already know Rick, such a great guy. Uh, in this, there are a few clicks and pops. That's me writing furiously, and apparently my pen got caught on uh, the microphone. But other than that, it's really good sound quality. Yay, I think we're back on track. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Rick. Rick is a teacher and a performer at the Magnet Theater in New York City. He's been studying, performing, and teaching improv since 1999. He began improvising with Improv Boston and continued with, uh, with while he was in St. Louis, Missouri. He's been fortunate enough to learn from many improv greats, including Armando Diaz, Joe Bill, Mark Sutton, uh, Will Luera, and more. Rick has taught workshops and improv festivals across the country. And... Um, he uh, is a great guy. He also happens to enjoy running, putting words on pages, and thinking about the brain. And more than anything else, he loves improv. He's one of he's one of those improvisers who I'm like, oh, he gets it. He gets how much we all love this form and this art form. Uh, so please enjoy this episode. Um, thank you so much for listening, as always. And here we go. It's Rick Andrews. All right, so I like to always ask, do you remember the first class you taught? Um, the first time I think I ever taught anyone improv was in college. So I was like in charge at a certain point of my college improv team, which was Suspicious of Whistlers in, at WashU in St. Louis. Um, and so we, when we took new freshmen, we would, we would teach them. I think maybe the first time I taught would be like during a pre-orientation program that we started. It's maybe my sophomore year of college. Okay. Um, the first like class class I taught, I, ta I remember taught a corporate workshop for the St. Louis Zoo when I was a senior. Oh. Um, which uh, I like, I was up all night finishing a presentation I should have finished way earlier. <laughs> I like got three quarters of the way done. I like drove to the offsite. I taught this workshop and I frantically drove back and tried to finish this thing. It was a very stressful day. <laughs> um, and then I started coaching in New York. This is not a succinct answer to your question. No, it's okay. Uh, actually, people I think like the the long way around. When you start coaching, you're kind of like, I mean, I was like, oh, I'll coach, and then it's like. Everyone's like, cool, no thanks. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's hard to do it unless people have already had you. Right. Because um, then they're like, oh, that person's good. Um, but a couple people who were in classes with me asked me to coach, like, their duos. And so there was a period, like, I there's, I quit grad school to do improv full-time. And at that point, I was coaching, like, two groups a week. And that was, like, my ostensibly full-time job <laughs> was, like, okay, I'm making, like, I think I was charging $15 an hour. Right. So I'm making 60 bucks a week. <laughs> it's sustainable um, in New York City, right? <laughs> 60 bucks a week. That'll get you there. Um, but then, like, slowly over time, like, uh, yeah, I started doing more and more coaching. I do remember the first class I taught at the Magnet. I subbed in for Megan Gray, who her and Lewis went on Second City Boat Co. Oh, okay. And I, I finished, like, week seven and week eight. I, I just started becoming a teacher, but my first class hadn't started yet. So I, I finished week seven, week eight of her class. And like in the first class, I um, I like, there was a scene and I like stopped it and I was like, oh, try this thing. And then like afterwards, I got like a long email from the student that was like, here's what I was going for. And like, you totally interrupted my thing. And I, I felt like mortified. <laughs> um, uh, 
but but yeah i feel which, like you've gotten over like, that <laughs> i know well and, and I, I it created a really weird expectation of like oh is this what happens like every class like <laughs> any note i give i get like a long email about it um but yeah it was great and i still remember some of the people who were in my first level ones that i taught um, did um, so at that time was Armando doing the train the trainers at Magnet or did you? Yes. Okay. So uh, we uh, co uh, co taught a level one, and then he shadowed a level one. Okay. Um, and I remember my first day of the co teaching. Like this is still something I remember. Um, just just his like ease with beginners, um, uh, is like really amazing, and and his ability to like. Uh, be as simple as possible and, and give only the instructions that are helpful. Um, there was that we were doing some like object monologue game where people were like monologuing from the point of view of different objects and like seven of the eight people had gone and this woman, like you had to kind of step out to do your monologue and this woman was, who was last was like, oh, I don't have any ideas. Can I not go? And I expected Armando to be like, sure, that's okay. You know, don't worry about it. But he was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, uh, just, uh, just take a step forward. And then, like, she stepped forward and, like, immediately had an idea. Oh. And I was like, oh, yeah, she had an idea. She just wasn't feeling confident about it. But then once she committed to it, she saw that it was, like, fine. And I remember that as, like, a, I think his whole thing is, like, um, rather than give people notes afterwards about what they should have done, it's, like, lead them to the success right now. Yeah. You know, so whatever she needs to actually get out there and prove to herself that, like, it, you know, because that's where you actually build confidence rather than, like, here's a bunch of notes about all the information you should have known. Um, it's like, hey, hey, try this. And then like people do it and it actually feels better. And that's what they really learn. Are you familiar with the concept of feed forward? Mm, no, but I'm about to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I'll send you some, uh, I'll send you some links on some of the, um, it's, I mean, it's like in the business world and, and, and some of the research that's going on. But the whole idea is that um, like in the business world, you know, you have these like quarterly or annual reviews. And yeah. your um, business is like a like a company. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. and then you're like your immediate manager tells you all the things that you've been doing wrong for six months on the project. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So the whole concept of feed forward is why don't we have check ins? So when something they're not doing something, they could be right. doing something better or right or wrong. Tell them right away, and then there's a learning right there, and then you don't have to worry about it. And then also all these things that could have been come up afterwards yeah yeah and that's especially important in improv because uh and this i think informs a lot of the way i think about teaching you know to a certain extent like in a company it might be as simple as like oh use this spreadsheet instead like right. this is the formula you should be using um in improv it's like you're trying to teach people to do a thing that only they can really do because like they're also trying to find their voice and and they ultimately are going to make their choices Yes. Not your choices. So it's kind of maddening because you're really, there's not actually a lot of technique to it. Right. Like you can explain the technique of improv in like three minutes. I think what's challenging is that it's very scary. And so you're really there to open people up. You're trying to like lay out stones for them to step on so that they can see for themselves what you already believe, which is like they can do it and they can be great at it. Yeah. Um, so it's like creating the atmosphere and the the requisite skills to like give them the ways that they can hold on to to like actually like do it rather than like oh you should try this or like this is what you're doing wrong yeah so let's talk about creating that atmosphere for a moment because i think that's really important and i think there's things you can do to create an atmosphere yes. that uh, is trust and safety so that that student can take the first step on the stepping stone so what are things that you do to create 
that kind of atmosphere? I try to be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I think one thing um, you you can't fake caring about it. Like people will know. So I think if you don't give a shit about students, then don't teach. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds really blunt, but, like, I, I don't know. I had a lot of teachers at different places where it was kind of like, oh, you just don't want to be here. And it's like, then don't do it. Like, don't don't disrespect people paying hundreds of dollars for a thing that, like, you're just doing until you get cast on a TV show. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, like, like, care about it. Like, you not that you can't care about those other things, but, like, um, I think, like, when a teacher is really rooting for your success and they believe in it and they're invested in it, you can feel it. And, and when, they're, when they're not, it doesn't matter to a certain extent, how good the instruction is. Um, I think um, making sure there's a, a, a positive atmosphere of like mutual respect. Um, I think respect is really important. I, I currently, I, I think what, what, what matters most to everybody is that, is that it's um, everybody walks the walk on it, I think. So I, I tend to address things as they come up um, and kind of give guidance on Things like touching, awkward topics, dealing with stuff, kind of as they come up, I will side coach people out of them and then be like, oh, here's the thought on this. And I think over the course of that, ideally, the idea is that if people kind of hit the bumpers, they're kind of nudged back and every kind of feels safe that they know that like, oh, if I hit a bumper, if someone hits a bumper, I'm going to be taken care of. What you don't want is a situation where there's like some awful thing happening. I mean, I read sometimes online these stories about like, oh, this thing happened in the scene in the class. And I'm like, who was teaching this class? Th- thank you. they not stop it? Like, like the idea of someone being like, pretend raped in a scene, which I've read multiple stories of online of like, this happened in a class of mine. It's like, that is crazy. I don't, That's yeah. Crazy. I don't understand that either. I mean, just a simple conversation at the top of like week one, if it's a, you know, if it's a yeah. six or eight week class, of like, here's some boundaries and expectations for all of us. Can we all abide by them? And know that if we're crossing those lines, I'm here to, like like you said, nudge you or call you out, but not like in a mean way. And therefore, it will never happen. Like, I don't... Right. Yeah, I, it, it always makes me want... And then... Like, and, and, and I, I everybody kind of has their... I think, like, you just need to, you need to set those guidelines, whether it's... Uh, like I, I don't, I don't start off the class by giving a talk about that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but like, I am very, very proactive, um, about making sure like nothing trumps the, the safety and comfort of the person on stage. Right. But you guys have um, a student bill of rights in place, I assume, or something of that, or like a harassment yeah. policy. Yes. Right. So it's all yeah, in so place. There's, there's, it's all there. And, and there's, there's stuff when people sign up for the class that, you know, people may or may not read, but that's about your expectations in the classroom. And there's also like a little spiel in the beginning about like, um, when I hand out cards, we talk about schedule, just like, you know, this is, it's important that this is a safe and comfortable atmosphere. And like, we have a zero tolerance policy for any bullshit. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, then I, I, I try to kind of address it with people as that comes up. Um, because I, I, I want people, I mean, people have to feel safe uh, and comfortable. And I also want people to feel free to, to like, to, to know that like, well, there's, there's like, there's mistakes and there's mistakes. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. So everybody at some point over a class steps in uh, the pile of doo-doo of like, hey, that's a choice that maybe isn't great. Right. <laughs> so I want people to, to know that that is okay, that we're going to deal with that together. But like the bullshit stuff, like can't 
you know, you can't like treat people's bodies disrespectfully on stage. Right. Know? There's no weird touching, no weird harassment stuff. Like all that stuff is very zero tolerance. So I, I try to draw a really clear line between um, what is just like the learning process of being appropriate on stage and, and playing with the, the height of our intelligence and thoughtfulness and respect for each other. And what's the stuff that we just like absolutely have no tolerance for, which is like, you can't come back to class. Yeah. Um, have you ever had to tell someone they're not coming back to class? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so to do I always say like we have, uh, we have 999 out of a thousand people are wonderful, but we have more than a thousand students. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's really rare, but it, but you know, I teach a lot of classes and we're, and it's a big, it's a big city. Like we, we have people where, you know, it's like you, you're, you are, you are destroying a atmosphere of, of trust and support in this room. Like you, you have to go, you can't come back. And because um, you're in charge of all that, do, are, do teachers also come to you and then say, I think this person's got to go or like, so Amy, the school director is the, is more the point person for that stuff. I'm okay. more like point on like curriculum stuff. Oh, okay. Obviously they're like kind of intertwined. Um, but, um, but yeah, like I, I, one thing I love about the magnet is that everybody is, is kind of constantly talking as teachers about best ways to handle stuff. Um, uh, hey, had this thing come up? I'm curious your thoughts about it. Like, everybody is constantly asking other people their experiences. So if someone has a tough student in a class, like, everyone's kind of constantly talking about it. And a lot of the times, I think what's challenging is that it's kind of like a gray area, right? Where, mm -hmm. where sometimes it's like, it's a person who means well, um, and it's not, act, no one's complained. There's no, I'm actively making anyone, to our knowledge, like, un very uncomfortable but you're like worried about it. <laughs> yeah, you know I, mean? like, I do. Where you're like, they're doing a scene, you're like, oh. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and there's there's also important legal distinctions of like, I, I can't just, um, the theater it, it cannot discriminate against people. So I can't I can't take someone out of a class because I think like they're kind of weird. Right, you know what I mean? right. Um, so that's also really, really important. And I, and I think also too, like everyone's always very worried about being the weird person too. And I, I think like if people feel like there's too much of a, oh, you, you fucked up and now like you're ostracized thing. Like in those small minor ways that we all fuck up, not in the really big like physical ways. Right. You know, then I think people, it, they, 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 they start to get kind of afraid too in, in a way that is, 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 is strange. Um, so I think it's, it's trying to strike that balance between um, letting everybody know that it's a learning process, um, but that like, you know, we're not going to tolerate disrespect. And for the most part, I, I find that, like, if I do an effective job of, like, stopping stuff when it gets there, I think, you know, there's there's not there's often not malicious intent. So I, I think people are pretty forgiving of each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest um, thing is that the, I think, I think, my experience has been that when those boundaries are crossed and whatnot, it's not malicious intent. And if it gets too far or we're reading about like these rape scenes, you know, online yeah, is that crazy. the teacher is not equipped or not comfortable enough as a Correct. teacher and a facilitator to stop or talk about it or have a hard conversation or pull someone to a side because they themselves are conflict aversive. Yes. And I've had, um, I've had some conversations with places recently where, um, you know, they have this enormous code of conduct thing and it's like on the walls and everyone gets like a sheet of paper in the first class and we all like recite the, the pledge of our conduct thing. Mm -hmm. But then it's not it's not it's not followed through. Right. So it, it, it really is about walking the walk on that stuff. Um, and I think setting the expectations is is super is super important part of that. And I think to a certain extent that also like is a kind of signal to people of like 
what kind of work we expect. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing I noticed, to be honest with you, is that, um, th- and this certainly doesn't solve like all of it, but I, 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 I set a tone, I try to set a tone of like, it's not about being funny. It's, it's about like building with each other and, and making discoveries together. And, and I, I've noticed that the, the better I've gotten at setting that tone, the less bullshit I get. Yeah. Um, and the less, the less like just like uncomfortable stuff there's to deal with because people aren't, you know, unless someone, people aren't like hateful in their hearts. So there, there's, you know, it, it, people are doing those moves sometimes out of a sense of panic. And yes. if you make people feel less panicked, just in general, there's less of that. And then the stuff that there is is kind of like, I don't know, sometimes um, it's a diverse room and people haven't had a very diverse experience. And it's a chance for them to learn how what words and actions might mean to other people for example um the word bitch is Mm -hmm. a word that i i would say in the last four three four years i don't i don't i don't let male improvisers like call another like a female character a bitch yeah i've seen that also Um, across a lot of people i stopped that right away because it's a power word there's no like male equivalent there's no word that like a woman can call a man a dick or whatever i mean it's like it's like it bounces off you so easily right but, but bitch has like a kind of a power to it so it's all it's it's a lot about context you know if a woman's like if a woman's talking to another woman on stage like uh oh, marjorie's such a bitch or whatever you know that's very different than like a scene where like a boyfriend and a girlfriend are talking it's like you're such a bitch diana and mm-hmm. it's like that's that's the kind of thing that i'll take back and i think like i don't know that all men understand cause that's still a super common word in that context, I don't think I don't think people quite understand like what other people hear. That, right. that it makes it makes folks just like it just reminds them of of power, of power dynamic. It, yeah, it's like it's it's not the equivalent of a racial slur, but it, it it is like how racial slurs function in that like they are um, social sore spots that, that that they're words that have power because they assert social dominance. Yeah, um, yeah. My experience. So people, people. Yeah. No, I was yeah. gonna say my experience also uh, with that. I mean, that's definitely something that like. I mean, and I'm happy that that in the last several years, people have been yeah. stopping using it. And it's. I also, again, my experience has been that like, women who do can like do some dick jokes, and people are like that's awesome. And if yeah. a bunch of white dudes are doing it, people are like, ugh, this is. And it has to do with the power dynamic. Completely. Yeah, of who you are. And, and so I, I often end up having that talk. I think it kind of, it depends on the group of, of kind of where everybody's at. Because I, I also, um, what I don't want to do is come off as a kind of uh, virtue signaling, preening, like pompous windbag, mm-hmm. where I'm giving everybody my speech. Here I am, straight white savior. <laughs> right. To, to, to tell all of you, right? So um, it, I, I, that's why I kind of tend to like deal with those things as it comes up. Um, because also, like, you know, the, and this is where, like, diversity in the classroom is super important. Um, one, it, it, it forces everyone to be more thoughtful and, and not use easy answers about what they think people's experiences are like. Um, like, we have to have much more interesting conversations together. All these people complaining that, like, political correctness is ruining comedy are, like, so, so wrong. It's so much, there's such much more interesting work going on when we get away from, like, the laziest 1970s basic stereotypes of what like people are like it's you know it's just so much more interesting but i think also too yeah it's a chance for people to maybe like have a have a little bit of growth process about how you know about that stuff and i always try to really like make clear like i i'm not like the authority on this stuff this is just like my take on it right and i think in improv 
you can have a conversation like that in a way that's a little less loaded where it, it's less me being like that was racist because blank or that was sexist because blank it's more like I, I often frame it as like when you make that choice here's what the audience might feel or here's what the audience might hear right um and so it's a it's less like you are bad in this way and more like this is this is how it might come off and it's kind of up to the person to be like, is that how you want to come off? <laughs> right. right. And Yeah. And frankly, whoever is, you know, I mean, because it's uh, there. It's so big. It's a separate thing of like, OK, when you go to audition, if those are your choices, the uh, the person casting the show then has a choice whether or not they want to cast you in their show. Or just like I, I think these things are also like loaded um, politically. And I'm curious what it's like in the middle or in the middle of the country where you actually have because everyone's very liberal in New York. So even if people. No, it, that doesn't mean there's not like racism and sexism and stuff, but it just means that like everyone has, everyone's more aligned in like the shared understanding of like, it's a very diverse city and, and you do not get very far having stupid opinions about wide swaths of people because those opinions are going to be challenged every single day. And you're also going to get on a train with every person who's not like you and, and you live together. So I think like you, you um, again, that stuff exists, but I think in a classroom of self-selecting people who are choosing to do this kind of open, vulnerable thing, people are more or less on board. Um, but like that, those ideas like political correctness and stuff, they, they are very like politically loaded now. Like they've been kind of co-opted and weaponized in a way. Right. So it's, it's sometimes like trying to talk about things without using the words. Like, cause I, I often break it down. Like people are like, Oh, you know, PC stuff is out of control. And it's like, what does that really mean? Right. Cause a lot of it, I mean, to a certain extent, yes, you can find like these caricatures of like, people who are standing up for people who aren't asking to be stood up for, you know, and, and defending this like word stuff that it doesn't really matter. But most of it is just like, I don't know, when you were a kid and someone called you a nickname you didn't like, if you let them know that you didn't like that nickname and they kept calling you that, they're an asshole. Yes. Like that's all it really is to me. Like sometimes that's how I break it down in my mind. And, and sometimes for other people, it's like, you know, it's just being aware of like your just because something doesn't like bother you doesn't mean that like that, that other people should feel that way or do feel that way. So it's just about being aware of like what, what actually, you know, what are the possible ways that people might feel. And, and, you know, again, no one's like, no one's like forcing mind control on you, right. but it's like, it's, it's, it, uh, if you're made aware of how it comes off and you keep doing it, then you're a dick. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so with you, uh, with the curriculum piece of it, yeah. Yeah. How many are you guys? How how many levels are you guys on a you guys on a leveled system, right? Yes. Okay. So we have uh, four levels in the main program, and then people apply to be in the conservatory. Okay. Um, and uh, then if accepted, they, they take level five. So they're like applying to be in level five, this like a level five class. Okay. And then there's one other required class after that called if they want to audition. Okay. Um, which is called team performance workshop. Okay. Um. I and again, like a lot of people taking classes aren't necessarily, I would say most people who take a level one class are not doing it with the idea that they're there to become a performer right? Uh, at the theater. I think that's... I mean, a, a lot of people do that, but a lot of people are are just like actors and this is like more training for them right. or they want to do comedy but are interested in other things. But a lot of it is like people who are professionals and this is like, you know, public speaking training or they're trying to build their confidence. There's a really wide... Uh, array of reasons of why people are there and that's also important when we start uh when we're in the classroom and we're like it's not about being funny and stuff because not everybody is there to be a comedian uh right. so i think that's important so do you write all the curriculum for, for we don't have a curriculum 
Okay. How does that work? Here's what we have. Okay. Um, we each level has a series of of goals attached to it. Okay. Um, so, for example, level one, it has there's like a form attached to it. So in level one, we do the Armando, we do the monologue deconstruction. Got it. Okay. And the goals are um, introduce people to the basics of improv. Mm-hmm. Um, arm them with tools to help them be connected to their scene and their scene partner. So emotion, environment, uh, character, um, and make people love doing improv, fall right. in love with it, right. feel like they can do it. This is something they love. And however the teacher chooses to accomplish those goals uh, is up to them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which um, seems like a it's a it's a uh, high risk high reward proposition. So. We we have so much training. I think we have more training than, than any other place I've I've heard of personally. So to, to become a teacher, you need to have coached a circuit team, which are student herald teams or a house team. You need to have taken the coaching class. Um, uh, we solicit feedback from the groups you've coached. Then you you teach a one day workshop that I shadow or like Armando used to shadow. Okay. And then you uh, you might do a second one of those. Um, and then if you're asked to start teaching a class, you would co-teach an eight-week class with me and then there's an eight-week shadowing period so it ends up being a lot of classroom time um and we have just a ton of really amazing coaches and teachers so everybody we hire is like top-notch amazing pretty much when we get them right uh and and so um the reason we structure things that way is to really enable the instructors to teach the best class they're possibly able to do it and not hamstring them with games or exercises that might not be particularly conducive to the to the way they're teaching it. Um, so, you know, everyone's got the same goal, but they might have slightly different ways up the mountain. There's such a strong sense of like shared values in the magnet amongst the folks who are been performers and teachers for so long. You know, it's all about playfulness, connectivity, you know, honesty, respect, empathy. So you're not really worried about someone like taking some wide turn on that of like, now I'm, I'm only, only teaching baseball. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, So what happens is that um, uh, if someone's not really ready, that's like a really nightmare situation because they don't really have any kind of curriculum to go off of. But when people are really great, they are able to really make the class their own. And the other thing that happens is essentially they get kind of like a model curriculum in the co-teaching version. So when when we co-teach, I say, okay, here's how I, would teach a level three class. Uh, and I, and each week we, we meet right before class. We talk about what we're going to do that day. We divvy up exercises. We talk about them a- after the class, how to, how to go. And so over, the, and then the co-teach is the same way. We're talking or the shadow. We're talking before the class. What are you going to do today? How, you know, how are you thinking about it? So they, they leave that training part with essentially an eight week model of what the class could be, but they are not beholden to that model. So they have this kind of net that they can keep. And then I encourage people to, to, to make it better, to experiment, to be like, try to find it. I think becoming a good teacher is like, is, is not learning one skill. It's learning like 10,000 small skills right. and little tricks and different games work for different people. Armando used to, I'm trying to, you know, there's stuff that Armando used to run that like, you ever had this where like a teacher runs a game and everyone's like, oh, we did this thing today. And they're like, oh man, that's, that's everyone's favorite thing when they take that teacher's class. Mm-hmm. And then when you run it, people like hate it. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Nick, Nick, Nick in level two. Nick loves openings. Nick yeah. loves openings. Nick does an entire week where the, his whole class in level two just does openings oh, all, for awesome. three hours. And everyone, when you're like, what was your favorite week of level two? They're like the opening week. When I, if, if I sub that class, people are fucking exhausted and cranky after like 45 minutes. 
because I don't love openings as much as Nick does. And I just think like it's one, I'm not as excited about it, but two, I, Nick in his love of it, he sees the cracks for like how he loves it and why he loves it. And he's able to then open that door for other people so that they can love it. And so I think that's a really important part as a teacher is, you know, different games and exercises. If you understand the game and, it, and you love it, you will be able to make the, t- the students understand it as well. Yeah. So rather than being like, you have to run this game or whatever, it's like the game isn't magic. It's, it's, it's about the experience you're drawing the students through. So we leave that flexibility open for the teacher to kind of experiment. Um, Do you think it's necessary for someone to be a coach first before they're a teacher? Um, it's not like, like in a vacuum, no. I think it's, it's more necessary in our system just because we have so many, we only have a few teachers and we have a lot of people who are coaching. Okay. And it's a chance. I think it's like the first practice you really get. Um, I think teaching is hard. I think like coaching is is very challenging in a different way. I like to coach very well, but you also have some like some leg ups. Like you're working sometimes with people you already know. Like if you're coaching a house team, you know people are pretty capable. You have a shared language together. Yeah. Um, you don't have to explain what terms mean. They've probably maybe done similar exercises before, so it, I think that is a really an, a good way for people to kind of cut their teeth. I actually find that um, teaching to the, the newer people are, the more talented the instructor needs to be yes. in terms of sheer, sheer teaching skills. I think people often look at classes like, oh, whoever is teaching, and this isn't a slight at whoever is teaching these classes, like Peter teaches high-level classes at Magnet, but he could easily teach a level one. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I think some people assume like, oh, the, the higher level must be the more challenging thing. But yeah. it's, not, it's not about like secret weapons or they, that they're teaching something that like the other people don't know about. I think in the earlier levers, you have to be really, really on point in terms of being very clear, being very supportive. There's, there's, um, you don't have that buy-in yet from people where right. they're kind of like, oh, I'm into this. Um, so I think coaching is a great way to start it off with people who already have a ton of buy-in. Um, and then you get used to explaining games, to running warm-ups, to running exercises. Um, yeah, yeah, I've had people ask me like, why is it, why are you assess, why are you accessible before like a certain level? Or like we just, we actually just changed where we're not, and it's all, it all has to do with where you are and what your community is, right? So we're not doing levels, yeah. we're doing focus, and then we have a conservatory program. And I, cool. I, I've had people ask me, like, why are you accessible before even conservatory program? And uh, one, because my ego is not that big. Two, <laughs> two um, I, I know my voice as a teacher, and I know I don't have to talk my way through setting up an exercise or the why of the exercise. So... I can take a newbie and get them to where they need to be much faster and easier than a teacher who hasn't been doing this as long. Uh, And because I love, because I love improv so much, I want them to love it so much. Right. So why wouldn't I want to share that with them? You know, that's, I mean, and every now and then I need to back off from the like level ones because I'm just tired like, I just need, everyone needs a break. Like, oh, here we go, right? Like, this person, let me say this for the umpteenth time or something like that. Um, but for the most part, I love getting people in and, and, and teaching this whole new vocabulary in this world they didn't know existed. Yeah. And I've taught, um, taught enough level ones. I've probably taught t- 250 level ones now, like eight-week classes. It's been a lot. I, yeah. I, I teach like I teach like seven, eight classes a week. So it's been like eight years. It's, it's been a lot. And and I feel like every time, um, and it was so, that was what I really appreciated when I co-taught with Armando, you know, he was the same thing. He was like, 
here's how I teach it. Keep whatever you want, change whatever you want. Um, you know, as long as you're accomplishing these goals and, you know, you know, you're kind of, you know, do it as you see fit. So I think the first day of class that, that I run is still like almost exactly, that's like 90% what Armando taught me. Yeah. You know, cause I was like, this works great. I see no reason to change it. Like if I fiddled with stuff, it didn't go as well. And there's some stuff where Armando was like, he was like, I always run an envir- environment in week two, like week one and week two. It's not the least, most exciting thing, but like it really relaxes people and they do much better work. And I went through a period where I was like, yeah, but like character's more fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then I like switched it around and it just like went awful. And I was like, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess there's a reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. But sometimes, sometimes I make a switch and I'm like, oh, this works really well for me. Like I've got an insight on this or this is a game that, you know, I'm very fond of. And so I think my last week is like completely different than what Armando and I did. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of like I think every time I taught it, uh, the first like seventy times, I would say it changed like five percent each time. So I would I would swap out a game here or there. Or I would move something around, and and over the course of those like couple of years, it, it it became like, you know, it became more and more different, and also like more and more solidified. And now, I've got like an eight weeks that I feel. What I mostly modify for groups is not what we're doing, but how we're talking about it. Okay. Kind of depending on where groups are at, what they need to focus on. I might shift things around. So it's kind of in my mind where it's it's like a, it's essentially like a locked curriculum or it's a very, you know, similar. And I say the same things. I introduce the games in the same way. But then how we talk about them afterwards or what kinds of things I'm pushing them towards might might shift. Okay. Um, do your teachers have to, once they're teachers, do they have to do like ongoing education like train the trainer workshops or anything like that or um we don't formally require there's not like set require things but but we do things kind of like uh sporadically like there's you know harassment training that we did we did a you know an inclusionality training that you know we required everybody to do and then there's you know i try to get everybody together i mean to do another one of these lately but we get people together and just like talk to each other Mm -hmm. um about uh, what's happening in the, you know, little things they've, they've, they've discovered. And, um, everybody's so, I mean, everyone who's teaching is like doing a lot of improv. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so everybody, I mean, like, I think Michael probably is teaching the most now cause I'm, I'm only have five classes right now. Michael's artistic director and he think he teaches like seven or eight classes at a time. Lewis is teaching five classes. Megan's teaching four classes. Ilana's teaching five classes at a, at a time. Right. Like, like everyone is doing a ton of stuff. So, they they are their own little mini experts right um on their thing so i i i i think i found that just getting everybody to share expertise with each other has been very valuable what do you think is the success like what is driving that success from that um i don't know i mean we're in new york city yeah it's a very big city i think um there's already a high level of interest in stuff i mean mag has been around for almost 14 years now yeah a long time um, one thing that I, this, when I moved to New York and I, I'd been doing improv for 11 years, I didn't even know the magnet existed in 2009. I thought Armando was still at the pit. Like I knew who Armando was, but I didn't even know, know about the magnet. Okay. And, and when I found the magnet, I, you know, I was taking classes kind of everywhere when I moved. And I think like the thing that set it apart for me was like, there was just a lot of attention and care put into the instruction, which, which I, I felt like was really unique in terms of like the effort of it um, and like the, the, the quality of care and quality of attention you were getting. Um, and that sense of like community that like there was no like every community has hierarchy and like there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do to eliminate that. And some people are going to come in and like 
they're going to get on the team, they're going to have a big head about it. Mm-hmm. But I found that for the most part, like, there were a lot of people at the Magnet who were really, really nice. Like, Nick Canellis was just as nice to me when I, like, met him in the lobby of the theater when he was, like, in the biggest show at the theater and, like, was already established and I was just, like, some student. You know, six years later, like, I was in his wedding. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. he's just as nice to me now as he was then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's just a really friendly, nice person. And, like, Lewis and I were talking the other week about how, like, there's no, we don't have a green room at the Magnet. Just mm-hmm. There's just a little back stage alley way. Okay. So, you, like, before your show, you just go stand behind this wall. Yeah. And then everyone is entering and exiting through the same door, which I think is is an interesting, like, we're kind of all on the same page. Like, we're all, we're all on the same level here. Like, we're here to do the show, but we're all going to come in. We're all going to stand in the same bathroom line. There's one fucking bathroom. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I really appreciated that even at the highest levels of the shows, there was a sense of, like, support and trust. And um, I think Armando and Ed really, like, walk the walk uh, or do their, their damnedest to, to, like, support everybody in that way. Like, I've never, I've never encountered a situation at the theater in it, the whole time I've been here where someone was like, oh, I know this is the right thing to do for, like, the work we want to do, but, like, we'd make more money if we did X, Y, Z. Okay. Like, there's... The, 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 what what matters is the work, and then I yeah. think, like, the business kind of comes behind that. Right. Which is, like, I don't know, hard. It's hard to it run is. a business. <laughs> it is so, really like, hard, yeah. Um, And that's not to say that the theater's been, like, faultless in that stuff. Right. Like, I think there are a lot of ways... I think we all look back in all these communities... 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and wish we'd known more about how, you know, about how to create better environments and might have dealt with stuff in a different way. Like, I think these communities are changing for the better as society is, like, kind of becoming more, like, aware and outspoken about all these issues. Yeah. Um, that hierarchy... So I think, like... No, go ahead. There's finish. been... Yeah, that there's... It's not like... I actually don't want to be like, oh, everything Magnus has done is everything. <laughs> but but I, I, I think, like, if you're expecting, like, from an institution that's made up of a bunch of people, if you're expecting, like, perfection, you're always going to be disappointed. I think what really matters is, like, that there's there's an intent to get things right and that there's, like, a kind of reflection when things are not gotten right about why that happened and, like, how do we make it better going forward. Yeah. And I think I think that's about the, as best as you can ask for. That, um, yeah, that hierarchy thing, that's interesting because the way, I mean, we're in this really small very tiny space uh and it's very much like let's just make it work and our quote-unquote green warm-up area because we don't really have a green room either is we're lucky enough that the person across the way from us is a music studio and she lets us use it but essentially it's us watching each other's shows and as they're coming off or coming on there's the one bathroom thing and i think that that actually fosters this whole sense of like you know, part of me, as we, you know, as I look to grow, you know, from just a business perspective, doesn't want to go, like, it's weird to say, but like, I don't want to go too big because then if we have this fancy green room and you can watch shows from the green room and you can do this and that, then these teams have become very separated from one another. Um, it's a, it's a feel thing. Like, I think you can look at, um, what's happening with UCB and like just their spaces is like a really interesting analogy to that like um the space they were in in chelsea you know had like compliance issues right but like just like the layout of it i think i don't i don't know that people kind of kind of realized at the time how conducive that how much of that is responsible for capturing the energy of it you know everyone's within 20 feet of the stage right you know 
everyone's focused in the la- there's a low ceiling the laughter it, it feels like you're at a punk rock show it feels very communal mm-hmm. and i think like it's much more challenging to create a similar feel in like a really big cavernous rising space yes i, I felt i've always felt that way doing improv like it, it, it's we it weirdly feels better to do a show in front of 20 people in a room that holds 15 people mm-hmm. than it does to do a show for 100 people in a room that holds 400 people it's this weird because that's exactly how I am and that's the experience and it's uh, a culture that isn't what it it was not up until I opened AdLib that's not what the culture was here and right. and so um, so we'll have people who like cross over who do things at both and then they don't understand why like the other people won't come over and I'm like don't get upset about it it's because what their experience yeah. and they're looking for is not this what I feel, what I personally feel, and that obviously will drive the theater, is what makes long form and improv amazing is this communal experience with your audience and that I can, that, that it's just this close knit, we're doing this together, it's the only time we're doing it together, versus yeah. a polished production. And I think like doesn't mean you, that you can't be like professional, but I right. think like, that there is something, I mean like, I, I think to think, uh, this has always been like one of my issues with UCB, not to like turn this into that, but right. um, like is like this idea of like we're here to do comedy. It's kind of like I think that like fundamentally misunderstands the nature of improv and like why we all like it so much. Right. Like improv is not just funny. Like people laugh at an improv theater. You'll hear people in improv theater be like, ah! <laughs> like 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 screams of astonishment. Like yeah. no one has ever made that noise in a movie theater watching a movie. Right. Right? Right. So it's it's not just about making people laugh. It's about, like, kind of enthralling people a little bit. Like, And I think that is, like, more about the sense of discovery and the sense of, like, oh, yeah, th- this thing is, like, alive in the moment. Yeah. So when you over, like, codify stuff, sometimes you weirdly lose that, like, that kind of magic a little bit yeah. and when you watch amazing teams it's like they're kind of consistently putting themselves in a place where like they're just on the seat of their pants just kind of like yeah. you know and I, I think like we um, creating communities that support that kind of energy and, and our spaces and our, our setups and our hierarchies or whatever that all like is conducive to that rather than the kind of pretending that like it's something different I think is very helpful yeah um, and there's always there's all this like uh, 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 this you know, any kind, and again, those are just like, just like kind of random thoughts. But I, there's, there's like this thing of like, you're trying to be like, oh, why don't more people come over here or whatever? And all of that like inter theater competition stuff is such a, like a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, it is. Um, I think Nick Armstrong is the one who says this, but it's always like, our, our main competitor is not a, another theater. It's like all the people who don't do improv. Right. You know what I mean? And Netflix. Yeah, and that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, like, I'm sorry, I don't have a fire festival. Uh, right, right. Like, I'm going on. But it's yeah. It's like I think like, you know, uh, one thing I love about the New York community is like, you know, I, I have like, you know, things with different theaters, and oh, I wish they'd done this, or you know, I have opinions on stuff. But but at the end of the day, like, you're just grateful that all this work exists to a certain extent, right? It's right. Like, it's just very cool. And also, like, when I moved here, it was just at the tail end of, like, you know, all the people who kind of, these theaters had kind of splintered off, and there was, like, some bad blood between different people. But then, like, everyone who came up after that, like, did stuff everywhere. So no one no one really cares, which I think is, like, great. It's, like, 
you know, there are people who are on UCB house teams and Magna house teams and like pit house teams and you can do it all at the same time and no one, right. there's no, you know what I mean? Like there's no blacklisting. There's no like weird shade. Like I, I think, um, I think what it's tougher when communities are smaller cause it feels right. like there's such a scarcity of resource thing and it feels much more personal when there's only 20 of us versus when there's like 200 of us. Absolutely. Right. Um, but I think it's like just, yeah, if people want to go do stuff, let them go do stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, it's so weird to me when like people have made people sign these like loyalty pledges and all this right. nonsense. It's like what, right? Like what on earth? As if signing a pledge is like what makes loyalty. First of all, <laughs> well, right. But it, yeah. But it's like, but like it's so antithetical to the like spirit of what we're doing. Um, do you have any advice for someone who's thinking about being a teacher? Um. Oh gosh, I think coaching is great. I think that would be a great place to start. Um, I think that it's a hard thing to get into because it's like someone has to kind of ask you to do it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's hard to just be like, I want to teach now or whatever. Um, uh, it's And it's weird because in improv, um, we know that like being a great performer does not necessarily mean you're going to be an amazing teacher right. and vice versa. But I think it is challenging if you know, if no one knows you or if you, if you haven't built up like a kind of credibility for yourself to be like, come, come listen to what I have to say or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's hard. Um, I think like, yeah, you want to focus on, uh, I think mistakes that people, I'll say like, um, early on in their coaching or teaching careers, like getting, getting overly focused on like structure or overly focused on getting fancy with stuff. Mm -hmm. I think good coaches and teachers keep things pretty simple for people. Uh, and you don't have to feel like you need to distinguish yourself with some kind of fancy new take on everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, of I do. Like, I've, I've rebranded, yes. you know, it's called Offership. Right. And what it is is it's, it's not yes and. Right. It's, it's, it's about physical offer. Like, it's like, you know, just keep it simple for people. Uh just like do your thing. I hope no one has like, I, I think I made that up out of thin air, but I hope that's not something that I read someone doing. Right. Oh, we're sorry if it was. <laughs> if it was, oh, I apologize. Sure. It's great. <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's great. But you know what I mean? Like, I think like, uh, yeah, rather than trying to brand yourself as like, I've, I've cracked the nut. It's just like, just do a good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think as a teacher, just like as a performer, you need some time to kind of figure out like what your perspective is on stuff. So I think you need to kind of get out of there in the mud a little bit and just like teach people to do better scene work until you kind of figure out like, Oh, this is like my take on stuff a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think people are really overly concerned about having a unique look at things. And then people end up just like, I, I read a lot of this online too, where people are like, here's what it's all about. And it's like, what? Right. Like it's just an attempt to differentiate yourself or, or like overly codify stuff versus like, I don't know. There's no one right way to paint. So to be like, here's what painting's all about. It's like, you're almost always going to be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for sure. just be like, oh, here's one way to paint well, or yeah. one thing that works is X. And then you don't sound like a ding dong. Right, right. Um, if you wanted to be found, can people find you in the social media realm of the world? Yes, they can. I have a flip phone. Cool. So you, can, you cannot find me on Instagram. Um, but you, you can find me on Facebook, I guess. Cool. Friend, I guess you could friend me on Facebook. If I don't know you, 
I don't, I don't know. Right. No, it's funny because when I asked Lewis that question, he giggled, right? <laughs> right. He also has a flip phone. Right. <laughs> it's our, like, Venn diagram of overlapping right. weirdness. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Uh, well, you're on the Magnet website, too, right? You could look at a photo of me on the Magnet website. Sure. That's, okay, That's cool. about all you can do. Lewis and I have some videos on YouTube. I don't know. I'm not a big internet person. What uh, about your brand, Rick? <laughs> My brain lives and dies right here in the moment. Right. It's, it's very, it's very, it's very temporal. All right. Very awesome. Temporal. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Uh, anything else that like I didn't touch on that you uh, that you need want to add before I before we wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Improv is all about wacky voices. Yes. And I just want everyone to know that that's and and wacky means whatever you want it to mean. Cool. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time.